You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We've been talking about probably one of, the, one of the most popular characters in the Bible. There's a handful of characters maybe you heard of as a kid, or if you've ever, maybe if you've never read the Bible, a handful of characters that really pop up. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Daniel, Daniel the Lion's Den is kind of the story that maybe you've heard of before. But what's this true story, the real story, the story behind the story? What's beyond the flannel graph? So what we've been doing is we've been kind of unpacking a letter in the Bible called, or book of the Bible called Daniel, and we're looking at the first six chapters of Daniel. It's more of a narrative of his life and his friend's life. Uh, It's their story. Daniel and his friends were kidnapped from their homeland. They They were plucked out of a life that was good and healthy and fun, where they loved God, and plunged into a life that was hell on earth. They were kidnapped abducted, castrated, names were changed. They were forced to study the occult and serve an evil, maniacal king in a place called Babylon, which in this time in history is considered one of the greatest empires and one of the most evil kingdoms that ever existed. It was a people to be feared. Now, Daniel and his friends, they were plucked and they were plunged, but it was unexpected. It was not what they wanted. It was incredibly difficult. Their lives were changed. Their physical bodies were physically altered. Everything about their life was taken from them. But Daniel, knowing that God was in control, still thrived. So as we unpack these six chapters, we're looking at how Daniel thrived in a place that he didn't belong, which is really, if you could put this sermon into one, actually this whole series, into one sentence, it's how to thrive in a place where we don't belong. Places that maybe don't honor God. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your school. Maybe it's your home. Or maybe it's this Babylonian culture. If you haven't listened to the previous weeks, go online. Listen to them that build one upon each other. But in the big picture, this is what it means. It means when caught in the backlash of someone else's sin, when experiencing God's loving discipline, or simply suffering the natural consequences of living in a fallen world, the response is still the same. We learn from Daniel, it's three things. It's hope, humility, and wisdom. So last week, Daniel took a stand in the cafeteria. Today, he takes a stand before the throne of a king. So we're going to jump right in in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, he and his friends were forced to go to Babylon University to learn and study things they did not believe, but yet they excelled to the top and they rose to a place of attention before the king. So let's jump in chapter uh, 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Anybody here have a dream? A dream for your life, a dream for your family, a dream for your future, a dream maybe for your your parents, a dream for a relationship, a marriage. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and ironically, Nebuchadnezzar was not a follower of God, but he received a dream from God. So what did he do with it? It says, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So he had a disturbing dream. Nebuchadnezzar wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. He's nervous. He's scared. He sees these images that are just strange and confusing and powerful. He's confused. So he calls all of his wise guys to interpret his dream. So the king, verse 2, summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. So then the astrologers, the wise guys, they answered the king. They said, may the king live forever. That's their version of 
They're kissing up to the king. They're saying, man, king, you're awesome. Tell us what it is, and we'll tell you what you want to hear. They said, tell us what it is. Tell your servants to dream, and we will interpret it. The problem with that is when people are trying to impress, they don't always tell the truth, and they don't always know what they're talking about. So these guys, Nebuchadnezzar, had, a, had an idea that maybe they wouldn't be honest with him. That if he told them the dream, that they would tell him something he wanted to hear. So this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, then I'm going to cut you into pieces and your houses will be turned into piles of rubble. So he says, I don't want you just to tell me what the dream means. I want you to tell me the dream. Tell me what I'm thinking or I'm going to cut you into pieces. And I'm going to burn your houses to the ground and to rubble that means to say that your whole family will be basically dissolved into uh, dust. So he's like, tell me what I'm thinking, what my dream was, or it's jigsaw for you, right? So it says, uh, verse 6, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it. Now, their response is like, okay, um, this kind of puts them in a tough spot. And they said, again, servant, uh, we are your humble servant king. Just tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And they said, no one can actually tell you what you're thinking. No one has that ability. Only the gods, they said, can do that. Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what? You're right. That's unreasonable for me to ask of you. Uh, I'm sorry. Here's my dream. No, that's not what he did. Look what he says. Verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now, there were hundreds of wise guys around, the ne around King Nebuchadnezzar. All these guys had graduated from, Nebuchadnezzar, from Nebuchadnezzar's uh, alma mater, the uh, Babylon University, the best of the best, the wisest of the wisest, the smartest of smartest, hundreds of these guys, and, and uh, Daniel and his four friends were the top of the class. They were uh, in his kingdom, and they were wise, and they were also sentenced to death. He was so angry, he says, nobody can tell me, kill them all. Well, Daniel and the boys were on the list, and in the dark of night, I'm sure they were woken up as they could hear the screaming and yelling, the blood-curdling screams of guys as they were getting their heads cut off and their limbs cut off as they were being cut into pieces, and, and people were screaming and yelling as they woke up to this violent rage of this maniacal king. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. I want you guys to circle that if you have your Bible open. Just circle with wisdom and tact. Guys, listen. Some of you are great at that and some of you are not so great at that. Man, when you hear something's going down at work, when you hear like something isn't right in your classroom, when you hear like something's going on in your home and you need to talk to your parents, you need to talk to your boss, you need to talk to that teacher, you need to talk to your friend, listen to Daniel's challenge. He didn't kick the door down and say, things have got to stop. He said, with wisdom and tact. That means he did it very respectfully, and he did it with caution, and he did it with humility. It says, with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? 
Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And he said, guys, listen, here's the deal. You guys better get yourself ready because I'm going to come back and i got to kill you guys too. The king said that everybody's got to die who's a wise guy. All the wise men of his uh, kingdom have got to die because nobody can tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream means or even what his dream was. We don't even know what it was, but he's losing his mind. And so we got to go kill all these guys. Now, this is what Daniel's response. At this, Daniel went to the king, made an appointment with his secretary, and he asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now, he listened to this disturbing dream from this king or what was happening from this disturbing dream, and he made a, a dangerous decision. He says, you know what? I'm going to talk to the king. And I think this is important, too. Again, you see, Daniel did not kicked the doors open to the king and didn't slam on his door and says, listen, Nebi, things have got to change around here. The God of Israel has come to you today. No, that's not what he did. He goes and we find out that basically he had to come back later because after he told the king that he wanted to talk to him, the very next verse is, is that they had to go back. They had to wait. Many of you guys, things you need to talk to that boss, just wait. Put in that request, put in that notice, Put in that, uh, make that appointment, and just wait. Follow the wisdom and tact of Daniel, and just be patient. Wait for God to open up the moment for you to have that relationship or that encounter. So while he waited, what did Daniel do? Well, while he waited, he went back with his friends, the three guys, uh, Daniel and his boys, and what they did is they prayed, and they prayed hard. And then in the middle of the night, God revealed to Daniel the meaning of what was to happen. God gave Daniel the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is what Daniel said in verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, Guys, listen, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Stop killing the people. I can tell him. What's ironic about this is that he didn't have to do this. He could have said, hey, listen, king, all those guys, kill all of them, but don't kill me you got to realize all these guys that were getting killed were bad people. They were, a, they were people who worshipped false gods. They were pagans. They called upon evil spirits, and they were involved deeply into the occult. These were not good people. And Daniel could have said, hey, it's all right. Kill them all. That's their justice for their life that they have served. But no, he said, stop the killing. He cared about them. He spared their life. Daniel had a heart for people. We're going to talk about this in a second. He loved his enemies. What a great example of the character of God. So it says, Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king his dream, what his dream means. So the king asked Daniel to come in, and Daniel's standing before the king, and the king says this. Then the king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar. Remember, Daniel's name was changed to Belshazzar. Daniel means God is my judge. Belshazzar means uh, Baal's prince or son of Satan, really. is what Baal is their deity of, of ultimate power and evil. So basically his name was changed to honor a pagan deity. He liked Daniel. I think if I was Daniel, I'd say, hey, among my friends, call me Daniel. He says, this is what the king said. He says, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Straight up question. Daniel says, no, sir, I cannot. <laughs> it's like, what? He says, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries that he's about. Now, if, if, you're, the, if you're his guys, all right, man, this is our guy. This is our point, guys. Rat check, magician, bingo, here we go. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to stand before the king. He's there before the Nebuchadnezzar, this mean, violent guy who's cutting people's up, 
people up around the, the neighborhood, right? He says, Daniel, so you have the nerve to stand before me. Can you tell me what my dream is and what it means? Daniel's words were no. I'm sure the guys were going, what? Why? Man, you're going to get us all killed. Why would he say that? Why would he do that? Because check what he did. He said, no one can do it, but there is a God in heaven who reveals these mysteries. I can't, but I know who can. See, guys, listen, like this video we saw earlier, there are a lot of life's unanswered mysteries. Sometimes we pray and God heals us. Maybe you've prayed and God's never healed you. Maybe you've prayed and God's answered a prayer one time and never responded and was silent and, and you continued with this trial. And you're still living in it right now. And you're praying, God, right now, why are you allowing this to happen in my life, in my marriage, in my home, to my kids, in my work? Why, God, I don't understand. I'm praying. I'm praying hard. God, I don't understand this mystery in my life. I don't understand what's going on in our country, in our nation, in my marriage, this tragedy that has happened in my family, this tragedy, this sickness, the, the doctor, uh, this diagnosis that the doctor gave me. No one, Daniel had it right, no one can explain why these things happen or what these great mysteries are, but I like his answer. But there is a God in heaven who can reveal these mysteries. So maybe you're right now living in a mystery you're trying to figure out what's going on in your life, what's going on with you, with that situation. There are just some things we don't understand that are a mystery, but there is a God in heaven who's in control, and he can reveal this mystery to you. Verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. By the way, that's the point of the entire book of Daniel, that there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He says, he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and visions that pass through your mind... As you were lying in bed are these. So he got this disturbing dream, and then Daniel made a dangerous decision, and now Daniel gives a defining description. He says, as your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mystery showed you what is going to happen. Man, the true God of heaven gave you a dream of the future. And he says, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I'm greater or wiser than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went on in your mind. So he says, this is not about me. God gave you a dream of the future for you to understand, for you to share, for you to live, for you to stand in awe, to be humbled by. God's only revealed it to me, not because I'm special, not because I'm better than anybody else, but for you. So this was the dream. The dream was very simple. He says, there's a statue, and the statue is made out of different materials. The head, he says, is you, and it's made out of gold, King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, there is a head made out of gold, and there is the chest and the arms are made out of silver. The waist is made out of bronze. The legs are made out of ivory. And the feet are, I'm mean, sorry, the legs are made out of iron. And the feet are made out of iron and clay. And he says, and there was a giant rock that came down and pulverized the statue at its feet and it crumbled to the ground. He says, that's the dream. Standing in awe, the king said nothing, and then Daniel was about to give him the interpretation. But I happened to find a video 
of, uh, that illustrates the fall of this great statue. And, and uh, so here it is right here. So the fall of the great kingdom. Now, if you're not sure what that is, that's big text from the State Fair of Texas, a great icon, uh, icon of, of the symbol of Texas. And uh, a few years ago, um, he caught on fire and burned down. Decades of history burned down in eight minutes. It took eight minutes. That was a time lapse, about a minute. Uh, so, you know, I, you had to see the whole thing. You had to see the great, the great big text fall. He was rebuilt, made stronger. Now he's the bionic big text. Uh, they, we have the technology to make him better. So um, this was the image, but in a much grander scale for Nebuchadnezzar. This idol that had his head and these unique and precious irons and metals. So Daniel begins to tell him what the dream is. And this is what he told him. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, the head is you. And I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar is going, yes, I am the head. I am the great king of all. And he says, the head is you, but the rest of the statue are the kingdoms that come after you. And all will fall. And their remembrance will fade when the great rock, a greater kingdom, falls upon it. And that kingdom will reign forever and ever over all of the earth. Now, basically, the idea of this dream, he's saying, God is telling you that every kingdom, including yours, will fall to a greater kingdom that shall reign forever. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's response, he was blown away. The Bible says he fell on his face, he fell on his knees, and he began to shout the praises of the God of Daniel. He was so impressed with Daniel's ability to tell him the dream and interpret it, that he ended up promoting Daniel and his four friends to a place of authority that was pretty powerful. We're going to take a look at that in a moment. But now that we know, looking back, that that was a dream of their future, but it was a prophecy of something that happened in the past for us. So this is the meaning of what we know about that statue. First of all, the head, take a look at this graph. The head was Nebuchadnezzar. That was the Babylonian Empire, represented by the gold that is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And then following Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, he was attacked by the two arms of the Meadow and Persian armies. 
And the Persian Empire began, symbolized by the silver chest and arms. Following that, the great empire led by Alexander the Great attacked and took out the land and established what is known as the Greek Empire. Shortly after that, there was another empire as the Roman armies stood up to the Greek armies. The Greeks fell and the Roman Empire began and the two legs of the east and west of the Roman Empire led and held force with strong iron legs. Now the last part is what is a mystery. A lot of people debate over what this last part means. Some of the thoughts on this is that some people believe that the And Daniel said, by the way, that the feet and the toes are made of clay and iron because it's a mixed kingdom that's filled with division and weakness. It's got some strength in the iron, but it's clay, so it's weak and fragile. So he says that is befalling the final destruction from a rock from heaven. So a lot of people, what is the feet and the the toes? What kingdom is that? Again, some of the people say, well, it's the mixed empires after Jesus awaiting for the return of Jesus, meaning the world we live in today. Some people even go so far as to say that the feet and the toes represents the ten kingdoms and the nations that lead the United Nations. Some people say that the two feet represent the United Kingdom and the United States as they are a loose, mixed, divided kingdom. Some people have even said that the feet are the Roman Catholic institution of the religious world that will ultimately bring down the demise of the world. That's a lot of negativity there. Some people say that the feet represents the the kingdoms of the European Union who are fragile and are waiting for the fall just before the return of Jesus. And then there are some that say that it is a kingdom yet to happen that is made up of the ten leaders of the Antichrist kingdom that will come just before the return of Jesus. Many people believe this last one, and this is where I stand. I believe that it represents Rome and the divided kingdoms just before the return, or actually just before the, the, coming, the first coming of Jesus. That means after the unified, strong iron legs of the Roman Empire, shortly before Jesus, the Roman Empire became a divided kingdom with a variety of leaders that were ultimately crushed by the coming of that great stone. Whatever your interpretation is of the feet, we know this, that there's no way for Daniel to have known hundreds or even thousands of years in advance what history had. This is an incredible picture of God's prophecy of the future before it happened, given to an evil man for God's glory, a great evidence of God's word. Now, what is that rock? Now, that's the last question. What is the rock that comes? What is that great kingdom? Well, the rock is Jesus the Messiah. This is the dream in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel says this. This is your dream. He says, while you were watching this great statue that represented the kingdoms of this earth, he says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands, and it struck the statue at its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor uh, in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the earth. And then a few verses later, he interprets what that means. In verse 44, he says, listen, king, in the time of those kings, that statue, in the time of those dominions and those, those uh, in the time of that history of kingdoms on earth, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. That means this is one that will be uh, reigning forever and ever. 
It says, and it will crush all those kingdoms before and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. And he says, the God of all creation, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. And I love this picture of Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock, our Messiah, the Savior of all. He is cut from the earth, from the great mountains of the earth. He is a man, but yet not by human hands, by God himself, for he is God. So he is fully God, fully man. He comes to the feet of the kingdoms as he came humbly, birthed in humility, lived a humble life, but yet through his triumph on the cross, he caused the kingdoms of the earth to fall and to fail. And as the rock rises to a mountain, so Christ rose again from the grave. And as that rock rises, he becomes a great mountain over all of the earth, and his eternal kingdom shall reign forever. This is amazing. Thousands of years before our life, about a thousand years before Jesus almost, Nebuchadnezzar had a prophecy of Jesus the Messiah, a person who wasn't even a Christian, a person who didn't even love God or even know God, had a prophecy, had a vision of Jesus. What a dynamic picture of our Savior. So that was the dream. That was the interpretation. What are we going to get out of this today? Real quickly, I want to share with you some things about what uh, really stood out to me about this story. Because you're going to find that Daniel, in this place of a terrible situation, he was physically altered. His life, his future was robbed from him. He was forced to be in a kingdom that was evil and to serve a king that was hard to respect and hard to follow. But yet God, at the end of this story, he was promoted by the hand of God to a place of incredible authority. What was it behind Daniel's promotion? Well, some things stood out to me, and this is the first one. When the pressure's on, he prayed and he praised. When the pressure was on, he didn't get angry. He didn't, you know, throw things at the wall. He didn't, he didn't you know, punch out his superiors and then go on the lamb with him and, in, in, you know, Daniel and the boys didn't, get, you know, try to run into the woods. Verse 17, chapter 2, it says, Then Daniel returned to the place or turned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. Guys, listen. Hananiah, Michelle, Azariah, we know them as Daniel. Uh, Ratchak, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and he says, listen, guys, they're coming to kill us. The, the, the king is ticked off because nobody can read his mind. We need to pray. They didn't panic. They prayed. It says he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men. Man, they didn't just pray for themselves. They prayed for all these guys that weren't even followers of God. Maybe you get the news that there's layoffs happening at your work. Man, you're just praying, God, just don't let me be fired. Man, Daniel was in that position. He doesn't just say, don't let me be fired. God, don't let these men who I respect, though I don't agree with and though they're enemies of you, God, you love your enemies and I love them too. God, protect and save their lives. He says he prayed for them. And during the night, the mystery of this dream was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel 
praised the God of heaven, and he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. And the chapter continues as he shouts great declaration of praise to God for his gratitude uh, to God, for his power, his wisdom, and his dominion over all things. He didn't panic. He prayed. Guys, listen, when it seems like everything in your life is falling apart, when you get that notice from work, when you get that letter in the mail, when you get that diagnosis from the doctor, when you get that grade on your report, when you hear the news, don't panic. Pray. And not only pray, praise. Daniel began to praise God in advance before he even talked to Nebuchadnezzar because he knew God was good, God was in control, God is all-powerful, he's got my good in his plans, and he prayed and he praised. And you know why? Because of this. His confidence was not in his own abilities or his own experiences. Daniel chapter 1, verse 21 tells us that Daniel had been given a unique ability or a gift of dream interpretation. And when he heard the news, he didn't say, listen, I know how to interpret dreams. Get out of the way. Get out. You're all going to die. You're all sorry. Just get out of the way. He didn't barge into the king's room. He didn't rest on his own talents and abilities. He got on his knees and he praised. Daniel had a great gift, but he did not rest on it. He got on his face as smart and as gifted as he was. His confidence was with the Lord, not with himself. See, here's the problem. Unfortunately, the things we do well, we often do without God. Relying on our own gifts and our own abilities to get us through. And we only tend to pray when we feel like we can't do it. I want you to, for a minute, just imagine God working through you in the gifts that he gave you. Now, there's a lot of pastors that do this. You know, uh, let me give you an example, personal example. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. Uh, I think God has given me a unique ability to be able to stand in front of people and to speak and to teach. I don't get nervous. I don't get scared. You know, I, I, I don't feel uncomfortable standing before you. This is, this is a gift from the Lord. Many of you have different gifts. Some of you maybe have a similar gift. But I believe God also gave me a gift of teaching, which means I can read God's word and, and it really just comes alive to me and it, and it just makes a lot of sense and everything pulls together and God's just kind of triggering things in my mind so it just kind of all pieces together. That's a gift that God's given me. It's different than maybe a gift that he's given you. But you know what a lot of pastors do is they have a gift of speaking and a gift of teaching and understanding God's word and they'll study and they'll get a message together and they'll get their notes and they'll stand in front of everybody and they'll work in their own power. They'll work in their own gifts, their own abilities without relying upon the power of God or God's guidance in their life. And we do the same thing in different areas. Maybe you're a great singer, and rather than relying on God to empower that gift, you just get up there and rely upon your own gifts and abilities to bring the house down. Or maybe you organize well or you do other things well. What if you were to infuse that God-given gift with the power of God? Imagine what God could do through you. And that's what Daniel did. He didn't say, get out of the way, I'm a dream interpreter. No, he said, God, I'm praying hard. I need you now more than ever. God, I need you. I'm relying upon you. What great confidence he had because it's not in himself. It was in the Lord. Here's the second thing is that no matter how offensive his enemies were, he valued their life. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 24, it says, don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. And I'll interpret the dream. And then when he was praying, he was praying for these guys. He never counted them out. 
What an amazing picture of the character of Jesus. Now, I want to be honest with you. These guys were bad. His, they were probably his friends, but they didn't follow God. And he could have easily said, God, kill all of them but me because they're bad dudes. And you know what? It probably wouldn't have been a bad idea because later on in the story, they conspired to kill Daniel. And even though he was responsible for saving their life, they still wanted to take his life. But Daniel understood this. God cares for everyone. And that their life is special. I want you to think of that person, that coworker, that family member, that guy, that celebrity, or that politician, that person that you wish, you know what? It'd be better if they were out of the story. It'd be better if they were written off the page. God, why don't you just go ahead and take them out and clear the way from me? Daniel never did that. He never made that prayer. In fact, he did just the opposite. He prayed for his enemies no matter how offensive they were. Because he understood the heart of God was love and care for these people. Don't hate, help. Here's the third thing. Daniel made sure that God always got the glory. Look at these examples in verse uh, 28. It says, no one can explain the mysteries, but there is a God in heaven who can. He says, I can't do it, but God can. Verse 30, he says, this has been revealed to me not because I'm greater or wiser than anybody, but because God did so so that you can understand. In verse 36, he says, the God of heaven has given you, king, your power and your kingdom. It's not your doing. And in verse 45, it says, the dream, man, this is about and from the great God and to his glory. In verse 46 and 47, Daniel says, you know, this is all to the glory of God, the true and living God of all did this. Guys, listen, you know what Daniel didn't do? He never self-promoted. This, is, this kind of goes under that heading, that God's gift in you will make room for you. You know what he didn't do? He didn't do this. All right, guys, I need a thousand flyers to say Daniel, dream interpreter. All right, I want those flyers. I want commercials. I want to run. They're in Super Bowl. I don't care how much it costs. You know, I want you to get the word out. Hey, I interpreted your dream, right? Yeah, tell everybody. All right? He didn't, he didn't say, hey, slip this note to the king. The dream interpreter is here. A small fee will get this all figured out. He never self-promoted. He never said, look at me, look at my gifts, look at my abilities, I'm the guy. He never said, I'm the one. See, here's the problem with culture, guys. And I hear young people come up to me and they say, you know what? I want to be famous. That kingdom will fall. And a problem with a lot of Christians who want to be famous is you're not called to be famous. You're called to make him famous. And you know what? Jesus has come to be lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up, meaning the cross, he says, I will draw all men unto me. Man, if we can lift Jesus up, man, well, if we can promote his kingdom and not ours, man, watch what God can do through our life. Man, if you're good at that gift and God is in it, God will give you the platform and the opportunities to do it. He never promoted himself, but he did step up when there was a need, and that gift made a room for him. Guys, listen to this. Joseph had a similar situation. Maybe you've heard the Bible story of Joseph in the coat of many colors. His story is at the end of Genesis. It's one of the longest passages in the entire Bible about anybody outside of Jesus. It's a great picture of the life of Jesus. But Daniel was, was thrown in a pit, found himself in the prison before he found himself blessed in a place of honor in the palace. He had this gift of interpreting dreams. And God made a place for him, not because he self-promoted, but because he was humble and stepping up in need, but never self-promoted. And God put him in a place of promotion. So some of you, you're like, man, I want God to use me. Well, promote him. 
I want, you know, I want to stand in front of people. I want a crowd. I want an audience. Why? So to make him known or to make you known. Here's another thing under this is that God always got the glory. Is that God raises up people who raise him up. If you will lift him up, God will put you in a place of honor and authority. We see this in Daniel in chapter uh, 2 and verse 48. Daniel was willing to put his reputation on the line to honor God. And look what God did. In verse 48, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. God did not only move on the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to put Daniel in a place of authority, but he also gave him great wealth. He says, he made him rule over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge over all its wise guys, all over the wise. That means all these wise men, all these occult guys, his own teachers at Babylon University were now under Daniel's authority. All these people that for the last three years were bossing him around, Daniel was now over all of them. You know, people say it's lonely at the top, but it's not if you take people with you. And Daniel knew that because the next verse says, Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. So he stayed on base and commissioned these guys to be feet on the ground. He took his friends with him. Because he honored God, and he lifted others up, and he promoted the Lord and honoring others. If we can just learn to lift him up. See, here's what we pray. We pray prayers like this. You know, maybe some pastors pray like this. I, I know I've been guilty of praying like this. God, I just, I just fall on my knees this morning. I want you to be lifted up, God. Show your power. Move in our midst. God, let them know how great and powerful you are. And let them think that I'm the coolest pastor they've ever known. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Whose kingdom am I really building? Who am I stepping on to make myself look good? So you may not pray a prayer like that, but in the context of your life, you might pray a prayer that's maybe similar to that. You see, here's the issue. We all struggle with a Babylon and we all struggle with our own idols. And the biggest idol we have is ourself. And we spend our whole life building statues in our appearance that make us look good in front of others. And everything we do in life is so that others will respect us more, think higher of us, or esteem us as greater in the eyes of others. I mean, even sometimes being a parent, we fall into this kind of shady area where we like, we, we become a good parent because we know that if we mess up our kids, then people will think badly of us. So they think, man, I've got to really invest in my kids because if my kids are good, they're going to think I'm a good parent and it's going to make me look good in front of others. Or maybe I'm going to do this project or I'm going to do this activity or I'm going to do this outreach. I'm going to help these people. And we do all these things not because we care or love others all the time, which maybe that's part of it, but at the heart of a lot of that is so that others will like us better and think better of us as we build the idol to ourselves. We're guilty of it. We struggle with our own Babylon. We build statues in our appearance. We think, man, if I, if I can look good, if my paycheck can be big enough, if my position can be one of most importance, if my possessions are impressive, and if my reputation is one that is bringing respect, then, then maybe look, look how great the most high Ted is. Like the statue. 
Guys, we are that statue that must fall. You are the statue that must fall. James 4 says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Other translations saying he will lift you up. He will put you in a place of prominence and platform if you will be sure to give him the glory and to make him famous. If we can learn to humble ourselves at his feet and raise him up, he will put us in places of influence. Here's the fourth thing as to why Daniel was promoted, I believe, is that there, he understood that there was only one kingdom that would last, and that's the kingdom of God. And the whole chapter, the whole dream is about, hey, Daniel, he was telling Nebuchadnezzar, he said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, this whole kingdom of yours is pretty amazing. It's pretty big. God allowed you to have this. But he said, Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be other kingdoms after you, and they're going to be big, and they're going to be powerful just like yours. But all of them will fall, for there is only one great kingdom that will last forever, and that is the kingdom of God alone. So I have two questions for you with that understanding that Daniel had to ask himself, and that is, are you building towards an earthly kingdom or a heavenly kingdom? Everything that can't be shaken will be shaken in Hebrews, it says in Hebrews 12, 27. This world will pass away and everything in it that is not from God will pass away. No matter how precious it is, that gold, that silver, that bronze, etc., your name, your popularity, your fame, your possessions, your finances, your creations, your ideas, your dreams, your accomplishments, everything that we build in this life as our kingdom, it will fall. Guys, listen, I know it's true. Nobody will say it, but we all have a kingdom we're trying to build. And that kingdom might just be our household. It might be our career. It might be our ministry. It might be our, our position. It might be how others look at us. But we're trying to establish ourselves as a kingdom or as somebody of prominence and important. But listen, Daniel understood this, that even Daniel... Even in Daniel's life, he made clear that even Daniel's life will pass away and the things he accomplishes will pass away for only one will reign forever, and that is the king himself, Jesus. Are your dreams built upon the temporary or the eternal? He says, Nebuchadnezzar, as great as you are, whatever you're building, it's not going to last. How humbling is that? Some of you guys are going to college right now. I'm glad for you. Uh, you go to college, man, be successful. But that kingdom, it will fall. You know, you've made some money. That's great. Some of you guys really have a, a gift for finances, and that's awesome. But no, that kingdom will fall. And some of you are, have a heart for Jesus, and you want to do, build a great ministry. Guess what? That kingdom will fall. <laughs> Only the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, will reign forever. And this last point that Daniel understood is eye-opening for everyone in this room, and that is this. Not everyone who ex experiences God and acknowledges God is a follower of God. In Daniel chapter 2, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate on the ground. That means this. It means this. He got on his face. He fell prostrate on the ground and began to... Honor the God of Daniel. He says, he prostrated before Daniel, paid him honor, ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And people think, ah, Nebuchadnezzar became a Christian. He became a follower of God. He became one of, one of Daniel's boys. He didn't. Daniel actually goes on to be even more wicked. 
In fact, the Bible says that Daniel goes on to become insane and lose his mind out of frustration and anger. In fact, the Bible says that the God of Daniel became one of many of Nebuchadnezzar's deities that he prayed to. And you know what a lot of people do is they come to church, they get the goosebumps, man, God speaks to them, and they get this feeling that, man, man, I experienced God, I must be a follower of God. But you're not. You may not be. I've had people come to me, man, when I was a kid, I got this vision of God. I got this vision of Jesus, an angel came to me, and I just know his hand's been on me ever since, and I'm a Christian. Just because you experience God, just because you had a moment of understanding of God, it doesn't mean that you are a follower of God. Nebuchadnezzar is a great example. Not everyone who gets goosebumps gets a miracle, hears God, or even gets a prophetic dream, raises their hand, says a prayer, walks an aisle, takes a dunk in the baptism pool, is right with God. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is where you're at. Maybe you've had a dream. Maybe you've had a miracle. Maybe you've even heard from God. Maybe even this morning you're feeling God moving your life, but your heart is far from him. Maybe you're like Nebuchadnezzar. You shout and acknowledge God, but your heart is not there. Or maybe you're like Daniel, or you want to be like Daniel. You're challenged by Daniel to stop self-promoting, to honor God, to seek his glory, his dream for you, to lift up Jesus and watch what he can do in your life. I want to pray for you this morning. And I want to pray that God would do exactly what that dream did, and that is crush that idol. So I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me. And we're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you a challenging prayer that I think could potentially change everything about your life if you will pray this prayer. Father, we're sitting here this morning or standing here this morning, and God, what a challenge. God, we're taking a good look at ourselves, and God, maybe we're like Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, God, we're gonna, we gotta be honest with ourselves. Our heart is not a follower of Jesus. We're not following, we haven't submitted to the reign of Jesus Christ in our life, but we are just experiencing the hand and the touch of God and his goodness in our life but we're not surrendered to the rule of his life. And maybe some of you here, you're you're followers of Jesus. You love Jesus. It's time to lay down your idol of self. May our life look to the exalted rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ, who rules even now as king over all eternity. I want to ask you to pray this prayer. If If this is your heart this morning, you feel God moving on you, pray this prayer. Just take a moment to talk to Jesus and say, God, come and crush me. Crush my kingdoms. Crush my idols. Crush my pursuits. Go ahead and tell him right now, God, crush me. God, you came as a humble servant and rose triumphant as a king. Crush me so that you may exalt him so that you may be exalted and honored and lifted up for all to see. God, crush us. God, the idols of ourself. Some of you guys, it's time to lay that dream down. And you know what? God may give you back that dream, or he may give you a new dream, a new mission, a new plan. But it begins with laying it at his feet. God, here's my pursuits. Here's my goals. Here's my goals. 
God, here's my marriage. I place it at your feet. God, here's my children. I can't control them, but God, you are in control of all things. I place them at your feet. God, here's my future. I don't know what it has for me, but Lord, I place it at your feet. Crush me, Jesus, so that they might see you in me. If you're here today and you're like Nebuchadnezzar and your heart is far from God, that prayer is for you too. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Crush my life. Live and rule and reign in me. Will you just take a moment and talk to Jesus about that? Here's my life. It's yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.